First Timothy four eleven through 16 reads, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your ears. Gracious Heavenly Father, our Sovereign Lord, God, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for the work that you do in us and through us. God, I pray that we would observe the teachings of your word, reflect on them, especially now here tonight where we meet with you and we worship you, Lord God. We want to be silent before you and learn from you, for you are holy and you teach us the right way to live. God, would you help us to keep watch over our souls, over our lives, that God, we would see very clearly where we maybe have wavered, where our soul has waned, that God, we would turn from our sin Continue to put our trust in you. Put it in our, tr- our trust in you afresh tonight, Lord. Would you bless us as we uh, just continue to worship you and hear from you uh, of what you say to, to our lives, where we are right now, as we worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right. Welcome back uh, for week two of our Habakkuk series. It's a very short series. Uh, we're going uh, just one chapter at a time. There's only three chapters. Um, and, and you heard me lay out the outline for this series last week. If you were here, if you weren't, I'll go and catch you up. Uh, the first chapter of Habakkuk is really about the prophet's burden. Uh, this week is about the prophet's vision. And then next week is about the prophet's prayer. Uh, so that's a very easy way to lay out the, the book of Habakkuk. Um, have you ever witnessed a destructive moment? I don't know how to explain it, but in the last three months, on three separate occasions, I'm driving on the interstate and I see a car off to the side of the interstate on fire. And every time it's before the fire truck has arrived. And I'm driving by and you can't help but notice this, right? Cars are slowing down. They're all trying to merge over as far away from the fire as possible. And and as I'm driving past, I try to get a quick glance of like, hey, did the driver make it out okay? Um, But I'm, you know, it's always too quick of a look that there's never really an answer to that question. I have to kind of keep my eyes focused on the road, make sure I don't hit anybody. So always pass by. I don't know how to explain it. In the last three months, three different occasions, seen a car engulfed in flames and glanced at it and passed by. Destructive moments demand to be seen. And that's what we see with Habakkuk here in chapter 2, as he experiences a vision from the Lord. Last week, we studied Habakkuk chapter 1, and we find the prophet of God engaging in a theological conversation with God. Now, this is not normal for a prophet. Normally, God is telling the prophet what to say to a people. Well, this time, the prophet is speaking on behalf of the people to God. It's unusual. And 
Habakkuk has two complaints. And we use that word very intentionally. Uh, that's what word is used there uh, because of two reasons. We see that uh, it tells us this is an oracle from Habakkuk, which is basically a word for burden. The prophet is burdened with this message until he announces it. And he starts his complaint with the phrase, how long, O Lord, or O Lord, how long, which is a phrase used throughout the history of God's people to utter lament and complaint about the things they, they experience around them. Habakkuk's first complaint is to God about how Judah, God's people, are so given over to their sin. God, are you not going to punish your people for just giving themselves over to sin and injustice? And the Lord hears this complaint and he answers, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. I am doing a work in your time that you would not believe if I told you. You see, the Lord was raising up a wicked nation called Babylon to punish his nation, Judah, for their sins. They weren't going to get away with anything. But in hearing this, Habakkuk then has a second complaint. Lord, how can you use a wicked nation like Babylon to punish your people who are less wicked? And we did not read the Lord's response to that complaint last week. Um, we ended it with uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, where Habakkuk says, I will take my place on the watchtower, the watchpost, and I will wait for the Lord's response to my complaint. And then we arrive at the rest of chapter 2, where the Lord does respond to this complaint that he has uttered. The rest of chapter two is the Lord's response. The Lord sends Habakkuk a vision of what will become of the nation of Babylon, the nation that he is allowing to invade his people. So continuing our overall series outline, remember last week we looked at the prophet's burden. This week is the prophet's vision. And then next week we will look at the prophet's prayer. Tonight's sermon title is this, While We Watch we will witness. While we watch, we will witness. Let me pray over you. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, you would teach our hearts, Lord God, that we watch the destruction that's going on around us, but we would witness what you're doing, and we would bear witness to what you've already done in us so that you would work through us. But Lord, help us to get our hearts and our souls right with you before we do the work that you're calling us to. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let's read together uh, Habakkuk chapter two, verses one through six. Uh, God's word says this. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Uh, 
If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his, that's Babylon, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. God is providing Habakkuk with a vision that he says will definitely take place. If it seems slow, just wait. I find it interesting that the Lord is showing his prophet a vision, especially as we looked at his reply to the first complaint last week in chapter 1, verse 5. He said, look among the nations. See, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. The Lord does not simply tell Habakkuk what will take place. He's showing him. And as God shows Habakkuk what will come to pass, he makes two pledges to the prophet concerning his two problems from chapter 1. Now, you'll remember Habakkuk's two problems were, one, how are you allowing your people to give themselves over to sin without going punished for that sin? So that's his first complaint. The second complaint, how are you enabling a wicked nation like Babylon to punish a less wicked nation like your people? Those are his two problems. He's voiced those problems. Now the Lord's response. What are the Lord's two pledges to meet these two problems? Well, we find them here in chapter 2. It's probably the two most important verses in this chapter. The first comes to us from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, Behold, Babylon's soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. That's the first pledge. The second pledge, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Those are two pledges that God guarantees to his prophet along with the destruction that is to come. Babylon will not get away with their wickedness and neither will his people. Now, I want to begin by looking at the first pledge in particular and then we'll revisit that second one towards the end of our time together tonight. Habakkuk's first complaint was about God's people getting away with sin in such a way that injustices are widespread in the community. You'll remember that the kingdom is split during this time. This is 600 years before Christ came on the scene. And Judah uh, was uh, the lower portion of the kingdom, and they had a wicked king at the time, which basically meant that the people were wicked. And God seems to quell this complaint by reassuring that no one is getting away with their sin, including and especially Babylon. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. And then God reassures the prophet of a marvelous truth. The righteous shall live 
by faith. By faith. This is a major attribute of the people of God. We are a people of faith. We are a believing people. We have placed our trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ that occurred 2,000 years ago. And that the second person of our triune God took on flesh and dwelt among us. He was born of a virgin without a sinful nature. He was tempted in every way that you and I are yet without sin. Lived perfect. And then died an atoning death. That is atoning to make right with God. He made us right with God because he died taking on the, the, the punishment for our sin. That is death. And then he rose from the grave victoriously. We celebrate it every day of our lives as Christian, but especially on Easter. Amen? He triumphed over sin, hell, and the grave by rising from the grave to welcome those who would believe into new life, abundant life, powerful life. To those who believe, to those who have believed, he has given the right to become children of God. This is the gospel that has saved us. So it is no wonder that the New Testament authors reference this verse as they explain the gospel. Most notably, uh, the Apostle Paul, as he was uh, early on in his writings, writing to the church uh, in Galatia, he says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Okay, hold on, Paul. We're not justified by the law. We're not declared righteous by our keeping of the law. We're not declared righteous in God's sight by doing good works. He says, no, for the righteous shall live by faith. Jesus has completed the righteous work that is to be done on our behalf. We believe upon him and he has given us his righteousness so that we are declared righteous by faith. And then Paul spells it out in his letter to the Romans. He says in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, if you don't have it memorized, you should. I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel, Paul? It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. And then the author of Hebrews combines Habakkuk 2, 4 with a verse in Isaiah to encourage Christians to persevere in their faith. It's, the author says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 through 39, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. 
And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Souls. Interesting choice of words, don't you think? We saw that recently. Where was that? Back in Habakkuk 2.4. At the very beginning. He says, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Ah, it all comes back to a matter of the soul. The soul directs us to Read That word soul directs us to read what remains in a deeper sense, possibly a sense that you're not comfortable with. You see, the words look beyond the outward to the inward. That word soul calls us to look beyond the merely physical to the spiritual, beyond the present to the future, beyond the immediate and temporal, to the ultimate, and to the eternal. So how's your soul? Maybe that's an uncomfortable question for you. How's your soul? Maybe it sounds cheesy to you. Do you sense that your soul is puffed up? Is it upright within you? Well, tonight, I want to read through the rest of this chapter where we will see the five woes delivered to Babylon and see five warnings for our own soul so that we would be encouraged to live by faith in the various areas of our lives. So I want to give you five warnings for your soul tonight. Remember, these are originally the reasons God condemned and planned to punish Babylon. So I want to learn tonight how we can observe these and apply them to our lives, namely our souls. First, warning for your soul, watch out for greed and conquest. Watch out for greed and conquest. We see this in verses two, or excuse me, chapter two, verses six through eight. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him. What is he talking about? It's talking about the other nations taking up their taunt against Babylon. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him, Babylon, with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? And those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. He says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Babylon was a nation that accumulated and collected possessions and people as a way to make their nation stronger. And they became so strong that they no longer collected out of need, but collected to collect. 
It was enjoyable for them. They took because they could. All right? If that was true of Babylon, how do we bring it into our world today? Well, with each one of these warnings, I want to give you uh, three things. Uh, A question to evaluate your soul. A statement of faith to show us how to live different. And a righteous application, how we can apply that truth to our lives. So watch out for greed and conquest. What is the question for evaluation? It is this. Do you notice tendencies to collect more than you need? Do you notice tendencies to collect more than you need? Uh, To illustrate this, uh, we can just reflect on this past winter season (laughs) when we go to the grocery store and what are the two things not in the shelves? Bread and milk. (laughs) Always gone when you need them. Or think back to the pandemic when we were in some need of toilet paper. Um, Or even right now, eggs, can't find them, right? I I, I saw a meme of... uh, an elderly guy talking to a bunch of kids like he's telling a story. He said, uh, we used to uh, throw eggs on the cars of our enemies and, and throw the paper on the trees and, and the households. And, and the kids are just amazed, like, oh my goodness, right? Pretty far removed from that. Do you collect things that you don't need? No, I'm not talking about saving up money responsibly. That's, that's different. But simply accumulating more than you would possibly need. And the faith statement I would just esteem to you as Christians, born again in the Spirit, is that you have everything you need in Jesus. Amen. You have everything you need in Jesus. So that if everything was taken away from you and you still had Jesus, you have everything you need. And so what is the righteous application here? Well, when you give... Choose my words very carefully. Jesus said the same thing. When you give, right? Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Give hilariously, cheerfully. When you give, give in secret so that your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you give, you should not expect anything in return. When you do that, your gift has now become a commodity and you're just trading but that's not what we're called to as Christians. We are called to give and to give and to give because how much has been given to us in Jesus? We live different. I have everything I need, so I want to give, right? Spend well, say well, yes, give. Give really well. Second warning for our soul. Watch out for relying on wealth for protection. Watch out for relying on wealth for protection. We see this in verses 9 through 11. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. 
He says, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high. Um, Babylon gained all its riches from the evil acts that it inflicted upon other nations. And then they went so far as to build their city's defenses in such a way that it would be safe from harm if those nations attempted to retaliate. In fact, you can still tell of how great in size that this was because of the gates that still you can see their foundations to this day of where Babylon was. So what is a question for evaluation to bring it to us today? Do you notice a constant drive towards financial arrival? In your own life, do you notice a constant drive towards financial arrival? What do I mean by that? Well, you've probably heard it in such phrases as, if only I had that job. If only I had that house. If only I had that amount of money to be able to do that amount of things, I'd be okay. Or maybe I'd be safe. I'd be secure. If not physically secure, maybe emotionally secure. Mentally. So what's the statement of faith here? You, and we just sang it, You are protected by God Almighty. He is all-powerful, all-wise, all-good to know what to do with the power that he has. And he looks on you and sees every threat that is around you. And he doesn't flinch. He doesn't cower in fear. He knows just how to protect you in such a way that you are able to flourish in this life as a Christian. That doesn't mean everything's going to go according to plan. That doesn't mean you won't have a car that sets on fire on the side of the interstate. We all still have those problems, but they're there to grow us. Not that he's forsaken us. He's all powerful. He knows just what to do to protect you. That doesn't mean you don't lock your doors. (laughs) No, your righteous application is you focus on being faithful to God and trust him to protect. Focus on being faithful to God. Be a good steward of your finances. They're not yours anyway. They're his. He gives them to you to be responsible for. So be a good steward of what he has given you and he will be good to protect you, to provide for you. Third warning for your soul. Watch out for violence and injustice. And I don't mean the other violence and injustice out there. I'm talking about in your own life. Watch out for violence and injustice in your own soul. We see this in verses 12 through 14. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord 
as the waters cover the sea. Watch out for violence and injustice. He says, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. In relation to the other woes, Babylon had built their way of life on violent acts they could commit. Justices they could pervert all day long without restrictions any way they see fit. It's a dog-eat-dog world. They did not cultivate a meaningful civilization by any means. So the evaluative question, do you notice a recurring angst against certain people? Do you notice a recurring angst against certain people? Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's a type of people. Maybe it's just certain individuals. Can I tell you, this is the air that we breathe right now. It's gotten out of hand. We think we can just be angsty and bitter people over nothing in relation to what our sins have done to Jesus Christ on the cross. And what are we missing here? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There's spiritual matter here. There are demonic forces at work over the people that you're angsty about. And they are just ready to divide, ready to get under your skin and use that person to do it. And can I just tell you, if that's in the household of God, it's just important for you to know that you and that brother or sister in Christ will have to look at each other into eternity. You don't get to give someone the cold shoulder in heaven. Oh, what's up, man? No. We meet together, we gather together at the great banquet to dine with our risen Savior together. And that's a good thing. That's a good family to be a part of. So let's treat them like family. if they're outside the household of God, if that you would label them as an enemy, Jesus speaks to this. Love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for their spiritual well-being. See if you can turn that enemy into a friend the way God turned you into his friend. Warning number four. Watch out for shame and dishonor. Watch out for shame and dishonor. Verses 15 through 17 say this. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon 
will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to the cities, and all who dwell in them. He says, woe to him who makes his neighbor drink his wrath in order to gaze at their nakedness. Uh, Babylon left the other nations they conquered with nothing. The people drank their wrath and were left with only shame and dishonor to accompany them. So let's bring this in today. What's the question? Do you notice a pattern of negatively influencing others? Do you notice a pattern in your own life of negatively influencing others? And it doesn't have to be drunkenness or sexual sin. It could be those things, but it doesn't have to be. It could be as easy as false doctrine or simply bad attitudes. Are people better off or worse off because they've been around you? Is that a pattern? What does faith say to this? Well, every person is made in the image of God and is worthy of all honor. The image of God. We, each and every one of us are made in the image of God. And so that is where we have inherent worth, dignity, and value. I've illustrated it this way. It's like we are God's canvas and the image of God is his signature on your life to say, that's my work. All of us bear that image. We are all worthy of honor and dignity. So what should I do? It's our scripture reading. You keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. So you will save both yourself and your hearers. And you may say, Pastor cross. I'm not a teacher. I don't get up and do what you do. If words come out of your mouth in the form of advice, this applies to you. Watch your teaching. If you're giving people bad advice, that's going to come back on you. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. And this is the only guarantee we have in scripture that people will be saved. The only guarantee, keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Whoa. Warning number five, watch out for idol worship. Warning number five, watch out for idol worship. We see this in verses 18 through 20. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it. A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord Yahweh is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Watch out for idol worship. He says, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. To a silent stone, arise. 
Babylon, just like all the other nations, did not recognize Yahweh as God. They made their own gods out of wood and stone and then overlaid them with precious metals like gold and silver to enhance their prestige, to make them look good. So how do we bring this into today? Do you notice a consistent draw towards something other than God? Anything. Do you notice a consistent draw towards something other than God? You know, we used to talk about iPhones, you know, like this is where I would pull out my iPhone and be like, yeah, hey, you know this, is this getting your attention? I did look over my screen time, 45 minutes today. Pretty happy with that. Thanks. Appreciate that. And I don't think it's so much the iPhone anymore. I'm starting to see that it's the algorithms. We are forming our own gods and what we give the algorithm. So it just keeps feeding us. Just keeps giving us everything we could possibly want. Just give me your worship. I will make, I will make you so happy if you just give me your worship. Where's your screen time at? Told you mine. On average, two hours a day. Be forthright with that. Anything you give your attention to, you're, you're giving it your worship. And here's the tricky thing about idols. You become like that which you worship. You become like that which you worship. If it's God, good. We want to become more like Jesus. If it's not God, that's that's not why you were created. Which brings us to our statement of faith here. You were created to worship God and God alone. What is the chief end of man? To worship God and enjoy him forever. If you came here tonight looking for the meaning of life, there you go. It's not that hard. You were created to worship the God of the Bible and enjoy him forever. Now, the only way you have a problem with that being the meaning of life is if you want the worship for yourself or you want to worship something or someone else. It's not why you were designed. You will be frustrated and frustrated eternally if you don't get on board with that purpose. And then what is our righteous application? You remove the idol from its prominent position and give your foremost attention to Jesus Christ. Now, I say remove. I would suggest to destroy it. But sometimes you put good things and make them God things. So you can't really remove the good things. You can't remove your finances. You got to live with them. You got to steward them well. Just get them out of that prominent spot. Get them under the submission of the authority of Jesus Christ as your Lord. Now, if it's something wicked, yeah, cast it aside. Punt that golden image. I don't know what it is. Destroy it. Get rid of it. Your soul. It's more important. And then give your foremost attention to Jesus Christ as teacher. I don't know why the woe talks about idols being teachers. I don't know if you caught that, but they're terrible teachers. And in fact, I think the reason that at the end of this chapter, it talks about the Lord being in his holy temple and the whole earth keeping silent 
is because he's the one that speaks. He's the one that teaches. We keep our mouth closed. He's our creator. He gets to tell us what to do with our lives. If we heed these warnings for the sake of our soul, we will be embodying Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous live by faith. We will sit at the feet of Jesus as we were in his holy temple, in his throne room, and we will keep silent before him. We will keep silent before him because we trust him to be the one who speaks. It is our duty like that of Habakkuk to simply watch, witness. We watch what the Lord shows us. The world around us is crumbling. It's breaking down in ways I never expected to see in my lifetime. But we are also witnessing the Lord asserting himself as the sovereign ruler over the nations. He is judging the world around us for the very sins we've been warned about tonight. He would go on to judge Babylon just as he showed Habakkuk. Likewise, God is in the process of saving many around us through judgment. And there's, that's where we go from being witnesses to bearing witness. We are stewards of the good news of Jesus Christ. If our souls are humble and they are indeed upright within us, if we live by faith, then we do the righteous work of bearing witness to who God is and what he has done for us, those who believe in the gospel. Which brings us to our main idea tonight. As we watch the people around us, we are commended to bear witness to our faith in Jesus Christ. It's a broken world out there, y'all. I was encouraged hearing our pastor earlier this week. He's talking about Philip, the deacon, sharing Jesus with the Ethiopian eunuch. And something he pointed out that I don't know what it was, but it stuck with me, was that the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to hear it. People are begging for you to tell them about Jesus. They're just too afraid to say it. Do you see people around you just walking through moments of destruction? Like the cars I've passed on the interstate and glance over to see if they're okay. Do you see these people? They collect whatever they can get their hands on, pursuing a life of if only I can get, angered by people who get in their way, living in shame and dishonor as they cope with their own destruction and give themselves over to the worship of idols. Do you see these people around you? They're everywhere. In fact, we used to be one of them. Their soul is puffed up. It is not upright within them, but the righteous shall live by faith. Jesus is pleased to call you and me into his ministry to a broken world engulfed in flames around us. He wants you and me to form relationships with misguided worldly people who are lost. We cannot drive by and glance over anymore. It's time to pull people from the fires of judgment. 
through gospel conversations that consider the well-being of the person's everlasting soul. And here's the second pledge that God gives to Habakkuk. The earth will be filled with the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, like the waters cover the sea. That's comprehensive. We know where all this is heading. We know who wins, yes. We know him. And one day the earth will be filled with the proper knowledge of who God is in all of his glory. Just like the waters cover the ocean. So here's one conversation starter that works towards that end. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Hey, can I ask you a personal question? What do you think about Jesus? Can I ask you a personal question? What do you think about Jesus? Hey, I know this might make you uncomfortable. I want to ask you just a personal question. What do you think about Jesus? People love to give their opinions, especially about Jesus. So many misconceptions that you get to walk through and say, how did you get that? Have a conversation with them. Keep Jesus at the center of that conversation. Listen, share, pray, and love. Can you do that? Listen, share, pray, love. Love. 